Welcome to the Big Fat Gay Podcast, where we talk about things that are weighing on our minds. My name is Dan Oliverio. I'm an author and a public speaker. And right now, I'm about less than a mile from some of the riots that are happening in Los Angeles. I'm Trevor Kizon. I'm a super chub living in Los Angeles. And I'm, um, I mean, I'm about 30 feet above Dan right now, but I'm in the same spot. I'm Michael Willer. I'm a chaser. Uh, I'm living in Miracle Mile in Los Angeles. And I'm also about a mile away from where the riots at Fairfax and Third were happening. My name is Don Marshall. I am a chubby guy living in Hollywood. And while the riots are not that close to me right now, I'm working off of maybe two hours of sleep after being surrounded by helicopters and sirens all night. So, so welcome. <laughs> this is going to be different. Um, it's been, I think, a historic week, and it wouldn't feel right to do uh, an episode that didn't talk about some of the things that are relevant today um or i should say especially relevant today and we also talked about like if it was even appropriate to do an episode at all but we decided it would be better to kind of be with yeah. you and talk about what's going on instead of being silent yeah and it's probably for anyone who's only ever listened it's probably important to kind of clarify where our voices are coming from so i'm a white cis gay man um i don't know if you guys want to I'm also a white cis gay man. I am uh, half native Hawaiian, so I am generic brown man, uh, cis living in uh, Hollywood here. And uh, I'm a cis white gay man, um, uh, also a chubby chaser. So our intent this episode, if it hasn't been clear, we intend to talk about uh, the not just COVID, which we've been talking about nonstop for Oh yeah, I keep Six forgetting seven that's episodes. Oh, yeah. still a thing. <laughs> yeah, that's still there. But we're we're talking about the riots, the things that have driven the Americans out into the streets despite COVID, and protests, and yes. protests, and how they're and, different and how yeah. they overlap. Um, it's going to be a little bit more freeform. We do have a lot of really valuable resources and references we, that we've put together. Um, particularly, Trevor has done a lot of work to find things that are relevant to our specific show, but also things that we can share that that might help you if you're looking for a way to join the conversation and contribute mm -hmm. uh, which is certainly where I'm coming from because I you know I've I've been in this in, in kind of one mode of co contributing to the um, to the gay sort of niche uh, as far as social change goes and then even smaller than that to the sort of chub chaser voice with things like this show um, but one of the things I think we wanted to address is like allyship and intersectionality and how uh, we can all contribute to positive social change. And I think particularly right now, there is there is dire need um, for us to support uh, the black people in America. Yeah. And, and we've we've t we've talked about these issues and also kind of the idea of privilege and using your privilege. Um, right. And I think a lot of people right now are in the place of being aware of their white privilege and not wanting to insert themselves out of fear about like, you know, thinking I shouldn't say anything. Me saying nothing is better than saying something, which isn't mm -hmm. really the case or something wrong. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's certainly where I've come from. Uh, and it's been hard to figure out where I fit into all of this feeling like I need to fit in somewhere. Um but not knowing how to help, like not just contribute, but how to help, like how to yeah. help actually make things better somehow. Um, 
Yeah. I've I, kind of been in the same place and, um, you know, it was my birthday on Sunday and normally I don't, uh, Facebook has the whole thing where you can do a, a fundraiser for your birthday, which I've never done. Um, mm-hmm. but I saw people were, um, this was sometime last week donating to the Minnesota freedom fund. Um, and I thought that thought this is a great way for me to do something. So I made a birthday fundraiser. Um, I set a goal of $500 and, uh, it's still running, but I've raised, um, $445. Um, it's great. Apropos of that. Yeah. Apropos of that thing you were, we were talking about, like, you want to say something, but you don't want to say something wrong. And how, what is a, an effective way to use your privilege? One of the ideas I had for this episode was, you know, do we want to invite, uh, some black chubs and black chasers on the show to talk about that. And then I thought, you know, cause you know, that would be giving voice and, and, and giving the mic over to people who don't always get the mic. And then I also thought, but I don't want to, as one of our uh, sources says, you know, you don't want to burden the people who are already burdened with having to explain and talk about themselves. Like, you know, like that question, of how are you mm-hmm. and now it's your response or like how does it feel right. to be mm-hmm. xyz pqy and you know making it like you know, this is really your problem tell me about it you know and i, I yeah. didn't want to do that so what dan's referring to is a, a twitter thread um by twitter user uh mackie roll ofc m-a-k-i-r-o-l-l-o-f-c um where she's talking about how to reach out to your black friends like what to say what not to say how to treat it um, basically how to be sensitive to what's going on and actually still contribute and help the people that you know. Um, and I think that's that's like totally relevant, not putting the burden of learning about all of this on your black friends. Like go go do the work yourself. Um, in this case, I think it, it might have been okay because this is reaching out to people who are choosing to be a voice, who would be choosing to be a voice to a broader, you know, to a broader public, I guess. So if you're reaching out to your friends that might have a slightly different context than like giving our platform to somebody who would need, who would not need it, but who could make better use of it than we could. I don't know. Is there a, is there a difference there? It feels like maybe- I think there is too. Cause one is, one is an invitation and the other is sort of a, a tasking. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, 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 and part of that thread that she was talking about was like, it's, it could be avoidance on our part. Like if we're just asking mm. someone else to mm-hmm. do the work for us. And so it's important for us to still do our own due diligence. And then I think as long as we're doing that, uh, also leaving the floor open, because that was another part of the discussion was like, own the space, but don't hog the mic. Yeah. Like keep the space safe for anybody to step up and, and speak um, and don't make yourself the only voice in the room. Um, so to that end, yeah, I think there is a lot of value in, and seeing if we have, you know, black chubs and chasers who need need a platform um, that could be on the show. I, I know we had Dexter on earlier this year. I don't know if he'd be interested in coming back and being part of the discussion. I think he might be just given his degree of participation in this in, in this in these issues in these times, as I've seen online. Um, so as far as uh, certainly he would represent the the intersectionality of having a lot of different um, areas of involvement as far as like being gay, being a chub, but also being black and living in America. Um, But how does, how does, how do these worlds overlap for us? Like in what ways can we be um, better allies to 
uh, to the people who need it. Like for instance, um, in this thread, she's talking about like how, like if you want to just do something as simple as reaching out to a friend of yours that you think might be uh, having any kind of reaction to this, I think particularly a black friend, Mm -hmm. uh, what are some ways to handle that appropriately? And I think she had some pretty salient advice. Some of it was very confronting too. I will say like as a, as a white guy, like it's, you have to like, one of them is like, hard one of her points is hard conversations you expect hard conversations that will make you uncomfortable Mm -hmm. um and that i think is part of what i've struggled with as far as you know understanding what white privilege is which took me a while to kind of wrap my head around especially because when it first hit my radar um it felt i felt very defensive like well i'm not racist and i don't do horrible things but that's not the point um, and, and understanding that it's, there will be hard conversations. Um, and that is absolutely no excuse not to have them. Um, certainly if you're presented with it and, and not, not running from that. And honestly, um, knowledge about something like white privilege, a lot of the things that like that sort of thing, it's honestly just sort of better if either white people start educating each other about what that is or going out and looking up what it is themselves Mm -hmm. because you know what black people are getting really tired of having to explain it over and over (laughs) and over Mm -hmm. and that's not a burden that i'm not black but i'm often the one sort of vaguely brown person in the room so (laughs) i can't even tell you how often i've had to explain this to people you know Um, there's this thing (laughs) on the internet called google yeah (laughs) and let me tell you about how google works you can put in any question you have and most likely you'll get an answer. Yeah. Can can I say I had a hard time wrapping my head around the word privilege in white privilege because it's it can be sort of slippery. Like a lot of white people don't feel privileged. Like, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. I've got a hard life. I don't feel privileged. And where I thought, and, and you know, what if a black person makes a whole lot of money? Are they privileged now? And, and that whole slipperiness of like, what is the privilege? Is it really? And here's what did it for me. It's much easier to come at white privilege when you first understand the idea of white supremacy, when you get and when you understand the idea that in most of our cultures, being white is being better. You get treated better. You have more opportunities. You have access to things you have. You don't have to deal with other things. And once you get that, there is this sort of hierarchy of and, and, and that's really what white supremacy is taught. I mean, because it sounds like such an extreme term and nobody wants to nobody wants to fess up to that and nobody wants to see that or say that. But once you get that, there's just simply a hierarchy based on skin tone. It's much easier to then go, Oh, so having that skin tone gives you access and privileges. Right. It, right. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a, I, for me, that's kind of what, what, what turned the conversation yeah. from, wow, is privilege really the right word to what the hell the issue is. And, just to clarify something Dan just said is Dan does not believe that this is an intrinsic innate value oh, God, to the no. skin color. <laughs> it's certainly no. a societally endowed. I hopefully uh, no one will take that. Just away to clarify just that. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. yeah, no, 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 no. But, but that's the way this society is set up. Here is, yeah. here is uh, one of the things that I think best illustrates uh, what white privilege is, right? When a white person is pulled over by the police in a car, uh, at no point do you ever need feel the need 
to communicate to the policeman that you are a father or that you uh, what your profession is or any of that other information that will humanize you to the policeman so they are less likely to shoot you. It is an innate understanding when you're white and pulled over that they are going to see you as a human being and not as something that they not as something that they are interacting with that may be a threat to them. That is white privilege. That does not mean you are a bad person because you don't have to deal with that. No one is saying that white privilege makes you a bad person, but refusing to acknowledge that it exists, that makes you a bad person. Yeah. And I think that was the part that you, you really have to get past that lump in your throat of like, well, of, of that, that indignation. Like you have to accept that certainly it's a fact of how life is now and it, it is the case, but also that pointing out that that's the case is not an assault on you as a person. It's just, it's, it's like, it's for me, like as, when you're growing up, you like, if you are, if you have certain biases and you just grew up with them, that's one thing. But as soon as you're confronted about it, as soon as you're challenged on whatever that bias is, or if you, for instance, have white privilege, it is that at that point is now your choice and anything you do afterwards, like you may have been just growing up in a world where that was the case and sort of blithely unaware, but now you have a choice to make. Like now you have been made aware of what this thing is and you can either choose to do the right thing or you can choose to go on as you have been, which I would say is the wrong thing. Um, and so being confronted is, is not always, it never feels good, but get through that emotional reaction and understanding that on the other side of it, you have an opportunity to make the world better and to use your privilege to uh, the advantage of people who need it and don't have it. Um, and I thought of really, I mean, I th I'm sure there are a few stories like this, but one that, that Trevor found, which was particularly impactful for me was uh, uh, it comes from Louisville, Kentucky uh, from May 30th, which was just a couple days ago. I think it was Saturday. There was a, a protest uh, that was organized in the Black Lives uh, Matter movement. And uh, during that protest, of course, there were riot police out and uh, the, there was a group of white people, I think mostly white women. It was uh, uh, white women. It was Kentucky, the Kentucky National Organization for Women. They were there at the protest supporting and, and being and contributing to the protests themselves. And uh, Chanel Helm, who's the lead organizi organizer for Black Lives Matter in Louisville, uh, asked the people there to use their privilege and defend the space. Um, and at that one request, uh, the women formed a, a human line between the police and the black people there who were protesting um, to literally physically protect them. I want to read a quote from the, the post on the Kentucky national organization for women's Facebook page. So the, they posted a photo of this, this human line. And they said, this is a line of white people forming a barrier between black protesters and the police. This is love. This is what you do with your privilege. Yeah. That is and that they're absolutely right. And it's a powerful, um, powerful symbol to recall. I, I remember a few years back, a, uh, a mosque somewhere in the middle East was, uh, shot that somebody opened fire on it. And the next time they did the call to prayer, 
Christians in the area took arm, like get, uh, joined arms and stood a protective barrier around the mosque while people prayed. I remember that nearly a decade after that happened. You know, this this is the stuff that counts. You know, there's a quote that I think is. I actually learned this recently. I think it's misattributed to Benjamin Franklin, but the gist of it is basically you, you're not going to see radical change until the people who are, una- who are unaffected by the problem mm-hmm. start contributing. Yeah. Which and is that's another and way of saying use your privilege. Exactly right. I was just going to say that that is, that is what privilege is about. It's using your privilege because the people who have the privilege are the people who really have the most power to affect change. Yeah. By definition. And in this issue, I just, I just, as a side note, I find it very interesting that um, the black lives matter movement is definitely highlighting um, a systematic, a systemic injustice being done against black people in the U S but it is something that most minorities in the U S have passing familiarity with at least uh, having the similar experience. But mm-hmm. I find when being a brown adjacent to a brown person trying to talk about these issues, I often get dismissed by both sides. So it mm. really is something that white people need to speak up on because mm-hmm. if a black person says it, it gets dismissed because they're just, you know, they're too deep into it. Uh, if a brown person says it, then they're, we're not part of the equation. So who does that leave to speak? Mm-hmm. You know? Right. So part of this uh, which ha- was actually really helpful for me um, and helped focus me and, and sort of revitalize my desire to contribute um, in a way that, that can, can actually mean something uh, was a, also a Twitter post. So Trevor, do you want to? Yeah. So this, this, uh, this was a Twitter post, but actually uh, Lizzo shared it, which is how I found it. Um, so it's mm-hmm. a tweet from a Lynn's-tastic, uh L I N D S S underscore T A S T A S T I C. And since Lizzo and, reposted it, this also makes it our Lizzo watch for the day. Yes, Absolutely, it does. It's there's a couple there's a couple Lizzo moments that we can talk about, but yeah, yeah. keep going. Um, resistance is not a one lane highway. Maybe your lane is protesting. Maybe your lane is organizing. Maybe your lane is con- counseling. Maybe your lane is an art activism. Maybe your lane is surviving the day. Do not feel guilty for not occupying every lane. We need all of them. Something that, I mean, the, the initial statement, that's the first tweet in I think a three or four tr- tweet thread, but it, it really hit home for me because I had a similar discussion with a friend of mine uh, last year about um, gay activism, uh, which is mostly where my experience is, but also feeling like I, I hadn't uh just feeling guilty for not contributing like what i'm not out i think this was around the time of uh the the nightclub shooting Mm -hmm. and uh feeling like i needed to do something and not knowing what and he pointed out that i've been working on documentaries about social activism with the boston gay men's chorus for like four or five years now and contributing to their message of social change uh is a way is a very real way to do it. So in this case, being out protesting is certainly one way to contribute. Um, so it's probably the most visible way to contribute, but it's not the only way. And freeing yourself from the guilt of not doing the big, you know, I guess sort of uh, 
like the biggest, most radical thing to, to then allow yourself to go do something in a way that you can contribute to the best of your ability. Um, because that guilt is paralyzing and you've got to get around it. And this comes from this person who tweeted is a, uh, a mental health counselor. And yes. they said uh, the sentiment came from a conversation with my boyfriend about our mutual guilt around not doing enough. Uh, them granting me this permission to not have to seep in that guilt gave me the push I needed to engage further with the current climate. Uh, talk mm -hmm. to each other, y'all. It helps. And that it before I even read that part of the thread, it had already started to have that effect for me. So there's a lot of great resources kind of addressing this issue of, you know, so you're feeling confronted, you want to do something you don't know what to do. So one thing I saw was um, Sparkle Jams, who um, I don't know if we've mentioned before on the podcast, Tracy Cox. So. Um, she's a singer. She, opera singer. Yeah. Yes. Um, mm. She had a video that was very popular um, called uh, Angry Fat People. Hmm. Um, but she shared basically a guideline for, you know, you're fat you want to protest here's a guideline um so you can honor your body as you know you're you're partaking in this which is really great um we'll share all of this on the website and i might e even um repost some of these things on instagram during the week yeah i, I think a yeah. great way to encapsulate that is you know when you if you're going out to the protests you're putting your body on the line and if you're fat you're putting your fat body on the line and fat, mm. fat bodies are not the same as smaller bodies. And so the idea of taking care of yourself, uh, allowing yourself the space to take care of yourself, that's what these that's what this post and these guidelines are about, like how to do that. And another uh, in addition to that, I think it was also interesting to read their take on using your body, which is unique uh, to to your advantage in a crowd of people. I mean, you are physically bigger. You can, if necessary, help protect the people who are smaller than you. I mean, understanding that you're putting yourself in potential danger, but also that you are physically able in a way that other people are not in that sense. Yeah. And you that can your body is a gift size. to that protest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You can use your size to to the benefit of the protest as a whole. Yeah. If I go limp, I'm not moving. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you are more immovable. You take up more space and can block more more egress or ingress. Mm -hmm. And by the same token, you need to take different care of yourself than, you know, maybe your, your thin friends. I am a walking one man fire department violation. <laughs> <laughs> um, they also say that, you know, if you, if you can't be on the front lines, if you can't be at the protest, uh, you can provide jail support waiting to greet release protesters with water and snacks, offer rides home, you know, do kind of virtual protests, which there is another great post uh, that we'll share kind of mm -hmm. as a walkthrough in how to protest online, how to mobilize on social media. I love some of the suggestions they gave about uh, like, like I like to protest, but I, I have very little desire to walk 10 miles doing it mm. um, and then walk 10 miles home. But some of the suggestions they had were like, well, you could make signs. You yeah. could buy the materials that other people's make signs from. You could mm -hmm. set up a first aid tent somewhere along the route so that people have somewhere to yes. stop to rehydrate or, you know, there are lots of ways to contribute. They don't all have to be. Uh, yeah, sorry, Don. Actually, walking. the what you're referencing is uh, from her modern life, um, mm -hmm. which was another guideline about uh, if you can't be on the front line. Ah, um, my bad. Sorry. It's okay. Uh, yeah, but, the, but so a the, lot of they say you can be a sign maker. 
be eyes and ears, uh, like Don said, you know, uh, be in the medical tent or bringing snacks, um, donating money. Um, but maybe you're just kind of feeling overwhelmed and you don't know how you fit in. You just are feeling like, you know, paralyzed by the insane state of the world. Cause you know, we're, we're still in quarantine. Like we said, we said at the start of the episode, uh, I kind of keep forgetting that. Although I have been having more, uh, quarantine themed stress dreams. Yeah. Oh, fun. But there's a great post, um, by the, the, the very black project, um, which is kind of a little image showing a map and it's uh, mapping our roles in a social change ecosystem, Mm. which, uh, so there's some of the examples are weavers. I see the through lines of connectivity between people, places, organizations, ideas, and movements. There's builders. I develop, organize, and implement ideas, practices, people, and resources in service of a collective vision. Healers. I recognize and tend to the generational and current traumas caused by oppressive systems, institutions, policies, and practices. Uh, I mean, there's a a ton of examples here, but this is a really, I think, a great way. If you just don't, you want to do something, you're seeing all these ways people are helping, but you can't find your spot. Yeah. I found this was the case with me when I saw that list of just sort of roles, like what's, what am I, what's my role going to be? What do I want it to be? What should it be? And reading over this list of descriptive roles, was like, oh yeah, I, I found myself. I found where I fit. And that gives you a place to stand and that gives you a place to act. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and as I've often told you know myself and a lot of my clients, you, you, ha- you can only start where you are. You can't start from where you're not. And sometimes our feelings of overwhelm come from, but I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I can't, well, no, but you're where you are. And that's the beginning. Right. Um, I think a great example that gave me so much joy in so many different ways of someone finding a niche way to contribute Mm -hmm. to the protests was um, the the K-pop fandom mobilizing and overloading the Dallas police app with K-pop videos. Yeah. So the Dallas police department uh, has an app where you can, and they tweeted specifically requesting for people to use the app to record video of protesters. uh, If, if, if random citizens uh, think that a protester is doing something illegal, the police requested that you use their app to send video of it. And it is anonymous uh, and heinous. And so the K-pop fans, well, what did they do, Trevor? So a f- Twitter user, um, sorry, a Twitter user, mini my G, uh, M I N I M Y G underscore, um, tweeted fellow K-pop stands, download this app, flood it with fan camps. I mean, flood this shit with fan caps. Don't let them see anything but K-pop, K-pop fan cams. Um, from my understand, I am not a member of the K-pop fan community but fan cams are basically <laughs> videos people have taken at concerts kind of focusing on their their favorite k-pop idol mm. um and they did it and the app ended up crashing um they got so many submissions so many so many videos with people posting um basically like i guess you can submit text with it like um i have to report the theft of my heart <laughs> <laughs> Which is just, it's a delightful, weird, beautiful act Yeah, from 
and just a, a, a brilliant mobilization of a community to help out. And I think the, the key there is staying tuned in, um, which I struggle with, I'll be honest, because I've been working pretty hard to like balance my own mental health. Uh, and it's, it's very hard to take in the state of the world and not just sink into an unfixable depression. Um, but I think focusing on what you can do and focusing on uh, actions you can take will keep you from being stagnant and just sinking. Um, yeah. Um, at least it's a, that, that's what I'm finding. No, it's definitely important to stay present, stay aware, but also take care of yourself. You're no good to the, the cause if you aren't, if you can't function. So, you know, maybe your lane for the day is taking care of yourself, but you know, Tomorrow it could be something else. Tomorrow it could be <laughs> blasting police departments with K-pop videos. And maybe the next day you're volunteering and giving out water at a protest. Maybe the next day you're donating. Just take it day by day. Take care of yourself. Um, speaking of donating, there's, so, I mean, there is a, a wonderful push to donate to, um, like I said, mentioned earlier, the Minnesota Freedom Fund, uh, they're actually requesting people now shift their donating. Uh, a lot of these bail funds are being overwhelmed and people have started compiling uh, basically kind of like Google Docs with different organizations oh, nice. um, or bail funds or even uh, fundraisers for local businesses that have been damaged, which I'll, I'll share on our website and probably also promote on social media because it's really great because I think in the same way with how can I help, even when you go, you're like, okay, I want to donate money. Now there is this overwhelm in, you know, where should, where should I donate money? Um, so it's a really great resource, but I will say, they even say on this Google doc sheet, um, before you donate, kind of check in with the organization. Cause a lot of these, um, organizations in a wonderful way are kind of requesting you not donate because they're just overwhelmed with generosity, which is a lovely thing. Well, and I would also say, you know, you can expand that to, I mean, there's, there's definitely the boots on the ground, smaller organizations who I think is wonderful. What a wonderful problem to have that you've got so much money coming in. You don't even know how to spend it because you don't have that much manpower to spend it or person power. Um, but you know, there are also bigger organizations that have been around for a long time, like Amnesty International, the ACLU, uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center, uh, that does tremendous work. Uh, and political candidates that you believe in because they're taking up the fight that you would like to take up. So, and, and, you know, if you, if you locate, if, if you can locate the rage, like what is it you're mad about? What really gets you? There's probably an organization taking that on. And maybe that's yeah. a guide to, you know, of the thousands of places you could put money or the thousands of people, places you could volunteer. Where do you, where do you fit in? Where's your passion? Yeah. Um, Something else that um, I've seen on Facebook is um, so there were, you know, there's been protests nonstop in Chicago, um, but also now we're going into this stage of where there's been curfews enacted across in various cities across America. Um, yeah. And I have a friend that has been volunteering um, basically every day. Um, you know, they end up shutting down the CTA and people get trapped downtown. And, you know, they're trying to get home before curfew. And she's been saying, you know, if you or anyone you know is stuck downtown, send me a message and I'll drive and come pick them up. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that happened to a friend of mine. Um, there was a, a a youth organized protest in Oakland, um, and she, which she was participating in, and the curfew was announced during the protest. I think there was like at least like ten thousand people. Happened in um, LA too. Yeah. Yeah, and and they had shut down uh, the metro there. Mm-hmm. And they, the kids literally couldn't get home. They were having to figure out how to get home. And so I think this is a fantastic way to contribute. And if you are in an area where that could be helpful and you have a car, um, consider it. This may be a slightly depressing thing to bring up, but I found it very pertinent to me and uh, something I never would have considered. Uh, but in the one of the Sparkle Jams things that Trevor wants to post uh, or will post, the fat protester article has a suggestion that basically some of the fat, some of us fatter protesters have to take other things into consideration. So bring, bring enough meds for one day if mm-hmm. necessary, because in like more than one city, when they've arrested protesters, especially liberal protesters, they've stayed locked up for 48, 48 hours straight. Um, bring a packet containing all medical info, advanced directives, emergency contacts, Put it in a clear sleeve with a humanizing photo of yourself with your loved ones in front to humanize yourself to healthcare workers yeah. uh, to make sure you get treated as a human being. You don't get pushed to the back of the line. You know, it's these are it's a it's a dark thing to bring up, but it's something that's necessary. And if it's going to help one listener out, do it. Do it. Yeah. I was going to say that's something that we you know, when we talk about thin privilege, you know, as a as a thin person part of our privilege is we don't have to prove to medical workers that we're a human being that people care about that, you know, right. we're not just some, you know, fat person out there who, who's disposable. Uh, thin privilege means we don't have to prove that. Um, a friend of mine was driving uh, through Santa Monica on Sunday and she was about five minutes from home when a flood of uh, looters came just hundreds of people came running through the streets and shut down the entire area uh, with literal people just running around smashing windows and storefronts and stealing things. And she said that, I mean, they were stuck there for two and a half hours waiting for it to end. And she said that it was a surreal experience in a lot of ways, but there were two things that that were like sort of shocking to me. One was there was a family in a van next to her car, uh, two adults and two kids. And she said that the adults sent the kids out into the crowd to go, to go grab shit out of Mm. store, like to go loot and then come back to their car with like shoes that they taken from a shoe store. What? Oh my God. Which blows my mind. We should, we should take a, um, we should take a minute to highlight, um, with everything going on, there is a lot of, um, you know, the the protests and the looting are not the same are not thing. The same. Um, right. And it's, although it's amazing to me how many right wing outlets are desperately trying to paint them as the same thing. Yes. Right. Desperately. Well, um, yeah. There's there have been that. That's why Lizzo's uh, sitting. What was what, what was the, it the, sitting, there's like going to be a sit in at um, Sunset and Crescent Heights, which ultimately ended up canceled. Um, there was concern that it might get infiltrated by white supremacists, alt white, alt right mm-hmm. movements, and um, it ended up getting shut down. Um, but the other thing that that should 
Well, I'll just say it and I'll see what you guys think. She said, sitting there observing these people for two and a half hours, the vast majority of them were white. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, even at the the protests, there's been a lot of um, white, like, I mean, there have been infiltrations of white supremacists, but also, you know, white liberals kind of using this as like a, I don't know, revolution fantasy um, and escalating things, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, when as a white person at a protest, you need to be mindful of your actions. You need to use your privilege for the greater good. Do not do not escalate things. Do not. You know, there was um. I think it was Georgia where there was the uh, CNN building, the windows getting smashed in, and it was a bunch of white guys. And it was just, yeah. you know, it's every single anecdote I've heard from LA in the first person has been about white people breaking through glass and stealing mm-hmm. things. But um, all, most of the anecdotes I hear on the news, not so much. No. Yeah. There was another post that I saw. I think this was later last week which if we're talking about the news and how the news is reporting this versus what people are actually seeing, which I mean, all four of us are living in the, in the midst of a lot of what's going on. Uh, Somebody put on, I believe it was on Instagram, a, a sort of series of pictures and a story attached, which was these are the kinds of stories that are not being reported. There was a, or not being reported fully. It was a police officer that got separated from his squad um, and sort of lost in the crowd. And the story was, you know, officer gets lost in a crowd of, of violent protesters. Um, but what happened, which, and there's a lot of photographic and video evidence showing this is that there were five or six black men standing with their backs in a semicircle around him, protecting him while he was by himself backed against a wall in a crowd of really angry people, rightfully angry people, and just like the white women standing uh, in a line in front of the protesters in uh, Kentucky, uh, these black men stood and protected the police officer who got lost in the crowd. So it just illustrates that um, even if you're feeling sort of overwhelmed with what you're hearing in the news, uh, the news is not giving you the full story. And and you're it, it's going to be on you to try and go out and find find the things that are happening that's not being reported as much or as widely because there are some beautiful moments in the darkness right now yes you know and i will say i've seen a lot of people i've seen a lot of outrage at the the looting and the destruction but i think it's important to step back and realize the the grove will rebuild the stores on rodeo drive will rebuild yeah you know it is these things are replaceable. The lives lost to pr- police brutality are not. Well, and the looting, the blood, the looting of black people, of black people's bodies, the looting of black neighborhoods, the uh, egregious predatory lending and fines uh, exacted on uh, principally black people. That's looting. And that's been going on for decades and decades and decades. And so if, you know, if a target goes up, it's okay. They're insured. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, I know how difficult it can be to see your neighborhood being looted. Yeah, literally last night I'm laying on the couch watching live TV on live TV, my pharmacy being looted. I am watching cops dragging people out of my pharmacy where I buy my distilled water and, you know, uh, 
various other unmentionables. And uh, <laughs> it, this is around the corner from me. And mm-hmm. a bunch of people were like, uh, they were sort of expecting me to be traumatized or maybe change my ideas about the protests. But this is not the protests. I can't <laughs> be angry at the protests over this. You know, uh, it's, so I think keep it's your just, perspective. It, yeah, <laughs> yes. it's there are many, many different voices uh, reacting in many, many different ways. And uh, the riots and the looting are not intrinsically the same as the protesting. Yes. Um, although I think in some ways they come from the same sense of outrage. So you can't, I don't think you can dismiss anything out of hand. One thing I thought was very touching to me yesterday Um I, this is the first time I've turned on local news in maybe 20 years, you know, hmm. it's, but, uh, I was watching, we had riots and looting on Fairfax here in LA, um, which is a sort of a big shopping strip down there of higher end stores. And a bunch of those stores were broken into the glass was broken. And, uh, I think it was yesterday morning or the day before yesterday's morning. Uh, the shop owners came back with a lot of the local people that lived around there they cleaned up the glass. They put up boards in the windows. And then a lot of the shopkeepers uh, spray painted signs on those boards. And you'd think a lot of those signs would be like, you know, looters keep away, you know, screw you. And I, I did read one that said we matter too. But the majority of those signs I saw on those on those looted stores were in support of the protests mm-hmm. from the owners mm-hmm. of those stores. And I, I think there's things that are different now than in past protests and past riots. I think, I don't know, maybe we're at a tipping point because, you know, in the same way that when body bags came home and it was televised on the six o'clock news in people's living rooms, people's attitudes about the Vietnam War changed. Mm-hmm. And maybe social media and actually showing black people being murdered and taken out and or, or, or is as just the worst exemplar of something that's been going on in major and minor ways for centuries maybe that is what is going to catalyze us into this next era of social change because i don't know about you but i haven't seen vandalized shop owners saying we understand we forgive you we stand with you black lives matter that's new as far as i know yeah Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that this will usher in a new era or at least something better than we've had, because, you know, the as Trevor Noah pointed out, the social contract hasn't been working, especially for black people. And when the social contract does, you know, a contract has two sides to it. And when your side is continually ignored and pushed off the table, you know, that's when you get. That's when you get vandalism. That's when you get like, why, why should I, why should I, because we could all go looting if we wanted to, but we don't, right? Because there's a social contract in place. This is what uh, Trevor Noah was saying. And I think in this way, something better might come from all of this. As a siren goes by. I think that's perfect. Hmm. Yeah. I think that's me. Sorry. Yeah, it is. Yeah. No, I mean, it's nothing. Um. <laughs> uh, so we, I think have, have, done our best to try and have a a full discussion uh obviously this is just the start um if there's anything that you feel is important to contribute we would love to hear from you 
Um, if you think there are, are voices that might be good for us to have on the show, um, I think that would that would also be a welcome suggestion, at least for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we're we're always going to be reacting to what's going on in the world. I think we've made our show topical just by its nature, and uh, in this case, this was the most important thing we could possibly talk about. And I, I I don't know what next week holds, and I don't know what the next month holds, but um, we are going. I think we are going to try our best to do the most good in the world. And today, this is what that means. Yes. <sighs> okay. Um, obviously, well, we shared a ton of information with you. Uh, it'll be on our website. It'll be on our social media. And you can see all of that by going to at Big Fat Gay Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, our website is www.bigfatgaypod.com. We're on Facebook as the Big Fat Gay Podcast. Um, yeah, there's all that is going to be there. Um, we love you. Black lives matter. Stay safe. Yes. Um, and find a way to be on the right side of history. Uh, if you're listening in the car or wherever you're listening, we've got your back. <laughs>